0: Why presents? Why presents at Christmas? Uh, It's certainly a question that many of us will ask as we open yet another Terry's chocolate orange, or we open, you know, a pair of socks which just really aren't going to go with anything that we own whatsoever, or a little gadget which will inevitably find its way to the local charity shop come January. Why Christmas present? Why presents at Christmas? Last year, I was rendered speechless as an auntie of mine, actually gave me two blank videotapes. Um, I opened them, and uh, my boys, I've got two boys, uh, they're nine and six, they, they kind of looked at them with bemused kind of eyes, sort of going, what are they, Daddy? And I kind of, I huddled them around, and I said, boys, these don't necessarily belong in our house. More a museum. We're DVDs now. But I did the right thing and gracious thing, I went to see my auntie and gave her a big kiss and said, I've been waiting for those for all year, thank you so much. How did you know? Why presents at Christmas though? Last year in the economy of Great Britain, we spent at Christmas as a whole £16 billion on these next few weeks. For the average family in this this country, we spend over £1,000 on Christmas presents alone. With money that we probably don't have, given the recession that we find ourselves in. So why presents at Christmas? The pressure to buy ever more expensive gifts. The pressure on our finances is huge. It can become overwhelming. The expectation is increasing all the time. It can become a, a burden, can't it? It's estimated that more people th- th- this Christmas than ever before will file for bankruptcy. Bankruptcy will seek medical help for stress-related illnesses and depression, and will very, very sadly uh, commit suicide. That was in a very chirpy article I read this week in a broadsheet newspaper with the ironic title, Happy Christmas. Why presents at Christmas, though? There's something magical, isn't there, about giving? There really is, and receiving Christmas presents. Isn't it fantastic when someone has thought about you, What you need. What you really love as well. And they've gone out of their way to get that something for you. And they know that you're going to be thrilled about it when you open the paper. Likewise, isn't it great when you give a present? I don't know if you, any of you will be with uh, children over the, the time. I guess many of us are quite childlike over the Christmas period anyway. Getting up early or getting a bit excited, wearing the silly hats and so on. You know, but don't you love it when you pass a, a, a present to a child still in their PJs, you know, beside the Christmas tree, in the lounge uh, carpet, you know, on Christmas Day. Don't you love that? Don't you love the... the the fact that they open the present, they can hardly contain the excitement. Lego Star Wars, as we had last year with my eldest boy. You know, wow. It's fantastic. It is such a privilege to give. And when you do that this year, when you give presents, look at the faces. Remember the hug that you get. And and just remember the fact that you've you've been able to play with that toy endlessly after the Brussels sprouts all afternoon on the lounge carpet. It is such a joy, isn't it, to give. I don't know if you've seen the latest John Lewis advert. Have you seen that? They've been great, haven't they? A little sequence of them. But but this year's is marvellous. You get this little boy. He's uh, utterly thrilled with the expectation of the Christmas presents. And you think it's that he wants to open his Christmas presents and he, he counts down the days. He's, he's just itching to open them. But then Christmas morning comes and he runs, he kind of out of his bedroom, opens a cupboard, gets his present, which isn't particularly well wrapped. Uh, and he, he blasts through his parents' door. They're still sort of waking up and wait, they wake up and, and then suddenly you think, but then he goes and reaches out his arms and he says, nothing, but just shows it's, it's for them. There's amazing joy, isn't there, in giving presents at Christmas. So why presents at Christmas? There's great joy in it, but, but also the presents you receive often tell others something about you, don't they? About what you love, about what you want, about what you need maybe. For some this Christmas, less fortunate ourselves, and it's good to think about those, isn't it? That their Christmas present will be perhaps that little extra helping of rice or maize that their parents have managed to save up over the year. That's their present. But you see what it says about them, and their want, and their need? 2,000 years ago, that first Christmas, which actually, if you go up, no historian will really deny a baby was born in a stable in Bethlehem in Judea. David's town, as it was called. And that was foretold 600 years before. The baby would be called Jesus. He grew up in Nazareth, son of, son of a carpenter. And then he'd begin, a few years later, to teach and preach and do some really strange, miraculous things. And, and it's interesting. All the historians, whether Roman or Jewish or Greek, all those people who opposed Jesus, all of them evidence. All of that which I've told you. They, they think it's very historically verifiable. It's a faithful account of history you've just heard read. Probably it's the most evidence history of all time. You get shepherds, we've heard about them, and then we get the magi, the magi. Not three kings, as the Christmas cards kind of tell you, but probably a number of them. Wise men. Philosophers, Scholars. And there you see them. They come from a great area of scholarship. Probably down in Iran, Iraq or sort of Babylon area. But the accurate historical text. The text that you've just heard read. Simply says they come from the east. And they come with what? Three presents. Why presents though? We've seen why, they, why we receive presents. But why presents at that, that first Christmas? Well, there was joy in giving the presents. We see that with the Magi. But what do they say about the person they're being given to? What do these three presents say about Jesus? We're going to run through them very quickly. Firstly, gold. What does that tell us about Jesus? I mean, who gets gold as a present in ancient history, in first century Palestine? Who gets gold? It's a king, a monarch, a ruler. 600 years before Jesus' birth, a prophet called Isaiah spoke words from God. We heard them read, that a child was to be born, and he would be a, he'd be a king, and he'd actually be God himself. We heard it in the first reading, let me read verse 6 and 17. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government rule would be on his shoulders. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding. It with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Well, is that true? I mean, if this baby born in a manger is king, and he says here he's an eternal king over the whole world, then surely he's doing a terrible job, isn't he? I mean, the gold tells us that he must be kingly. Like a monarch, a ruler. But as we read the papers, as you turn on the TV and watch the news, it does not appear, does it, that he is upholding this world as a ruler, as the prophet foretold? It seems, doesn't it, that Jesus is a poor king, if a king at all, certainly one with very little power. Let's go to the second present, shall we? What about the incense? What does that tell us about Jesus? Who gets incense? What's it for? Perhaps even more, you need to go back. What does it even look like? Well, it was actually a kind of a little white resin. And it was specially used within ancient times to make a beautiful aroma. Uh, And um, it was kind of intimated about in the poem. But um, it was used in the Old Testament as an offering from the people to God. So who is given incense? You see, incense is given to God. It's for God. Do you see what this present is saying? Jesus is God. Oh, we've had a clue to it in the reading we heard in Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-three. It said, "The virgin will will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel." It, It simply means God has come to be with us. God is with us. Is that true? Oh, if you simply look at the evidence of the nativity scene, you might actually find that very difficult to digest, mightn't you? There are, of course, a few spectacular and historically verified phenomena. You know, the star that comes along and and sort of comes over the, uh, the stable. That's one such act of God, if you like. But surely science can kind of explain away such an occurrence. If that is it, to claim that this baby is God, that's stretching it a little, isn't it? Let's go to the third present. Myrrh. What does that tell us about Jesus? Again, what's it for? And perhaps, as we heard in the poem, it's the strangest one of all. Liken this present, if you will. You're with your chil- uh, chil- perhaps your children, nieces and nephews, Christmas Day. There you go, down to the Christmas tree. You get the present out, beautifully wrapped. This one weighs a little though, And they rip the paper open. And what do they find? they find a gleaming, brand spanking new, ready armed landmine. They see, myrrh, it's kind of this spicy resinous material made from the trees, extraordinarily expensive. And throughout ancient history it, and through all different cultures, it was used to anoint and specifically anoint the dead. This is not the kind of present that the yummy mummies of Bethlehem expected. You go to a baby shower in Illsfield. I, I really don't think you'd be, uh, be there for very long. I think you'd be dropped kicked out. No, that, that's not the kind of present we give in an Illsfield baby shower. So what does this present tell us about Jesus? The clue again came in the previous reading in Matthew 1 verse 25. Simply it says, and they gave him the name Jesus. I mean, That was a very common name in the playgrounds of Bethlehem and Nazareth, where he later lived. But what it means helps us to understand what the present is pointing toward. See, because Jesus, the name, means God saves. It's it's simply saying Jesus is a savior. You'll know the song we just sung at the choir Silent Night, Holy Night. Shepherds quake at the sight, glory stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosts, all these angels singing hallelujah, which basically means praise the Lord. What's all the commotion about, you ask? The next line says, Christ, the long promised King, Christ the Savior, is born. But is he? First glance, and you could rightly question the credentials of this baby as a Savior. I mean, What do we, kind of, you good, professional, middle class folk of of Earlsfield, why do you need a saviour, really? And to have faith in this little baby, to trust that this baby will save you for an eternity with God, really? That seems a little bit of a step too far, doesn't it? Perhaps you're with uh, guys like Christopher Dawkins, those, yeah, the new atheist of the God delusion. He wrote that book. He says, faith, if you put your faith in anything, is a great cop-out. He says, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Well, maybe that is true, isn't it? If you just scratch the surface of what we're talking about. But that is what so many do, don't they? Maybe you're one of them. Jesus is a bit like a family tradition to you. My mum's got the most crazy Christmas traditions. We have... a um, we have a, uh, a tablecloth which is bright red with holly on it. It is the most disgusting thing you'll ever seen in your life. But out it comes every Christmas. And it's there on our Christmas table with the turkey and everything else. But come January, it safely goes away into the ease of the loft. Is Jesus like that for you? Oh, you take him out from the under the tree, you pay him lip service a little bit, you sing a few carols about him. But when the 137 units of alcohol that we, we drink on average in this country over the Christmas period, when they, when they take hold, well, few consider Jesus as anything but a little tradition. And what happens then? He just goes back into the closet or the coldest, darkest recesses of your life. See, the presents that Jesus received point us to understand that, that he's a king. But, but many of us say, well, just say, look at the world. It's not a great king. The second president, the, the, um, the, the incense, so show that he is God. But many of you will say, oh, there's no evidence. The third president, the the point that he's a saviour. And many of you will say, no need. No thank you. Let me just finish. I, I don't believe that though. Actually, sometimes I want to. Because if Jesus isn't king, it means I can do whatever I want and run my life my way, thank you very much. Not living as he wants me to, following him. I suppose I'm a bit like Herod in the story that we heard read. I want to be king. I feel threatened as Herod feels threatened by this little baby king being born. I don't want to be told what to do. Now, I don't go to the lengths that Herod did by killing all the two-year-old children. Uh, or under, uh, sorry, the boys under the age of two in the, in the area. To make sure that this king doesn't threaten me. More likely what I do. And I guess many of you do. You just ignore him. You turn your back on him. I don't want to know anything thank you very much. I might just play the role of king myself sometimes. Do you do that? You basically run your life exactly as you want to. Oh when you mess it up. You give yourself a lot of chances don't you? Oh you give yourself another go and another go. You don't turn to the true king. That is Jesus. Actually, it isn't the evidence that really puts many people off the, the Christian faith and, and following Jesus. They just want to be king themselves. They just want autonomy. But the evidence of ki- uh, Jesus being king is, it may not perhaps be clear on the surface. The world is pretty messed up place, isn't it? Greed abounds. Look at the bankers at the moment. The, uh, the environment is creaking. The, the crime, the war, the abuse, the neglect. Watching the news is not an obvious advert for Jesus being king, is it? I'm just going to finish with just a few moments, examining the possibility that what these presents say about Jesus is actually true. Because these presents that are given to Jesus offer us, finally, three presents too. There's three presents for us here. Because Jesus is not the despotic king that Herod was. He is created and he sustains this world, but he doesn't dictate it. His kingship is seen perhaps, in, perhaps more in what is to come rather than what is obvious right now in this world. But the sadness and the injustice of this world will be brought before the king one day. Oh, the pain will end. The suffering of the starving will be quenched. But only when Jesus returns and only for those who have put their faith in him. See, God has not let go of this world. He will one day sort it out, if you like, because he loves us, this world. And he rules this world and he is king over everything. We see that in God's word, the Bible. That's what we do here at Christchurch Hillsville. We simply come every week and we look at a little passage of God's word and we begin to understand more about who God is. Many of us here tonight know that to be true in our hearts, that Jesus is king, a loving king. Maybe there's some people here, you've got an inkling about that. You believe there's a God, and you believe that Jesus has got something to do with that. But you've got a few questions. Come and ask them sometime. But for those of us here who know Jesus to be a loving King today, can I just tell you, I think he's a wonderful King to serve and follow. And we serve willingly, we serve intelligently. We don't kind of leave our brains out on the pavement when we come into church. And we serve with great joy. The Christian life is amazing. A despotic king, you see, can only rule with might and power. But Jesus rules with love. That's the way he exercises his kingship. And I have to say, I am compelled, and many here are compelled to follow him. Why don't you? Why don't you want Jesus as your king? See, the evidence is there in, the wo- in his word, the Bible. If you're willing to look beyond the surface... You might be surprised. Perhaps, though you're just a bit too like King Herod. You just want to run things your own way. Turn your back on him, on Jesus. Jesus is king. Gold pointed to it. Uh, do you recognise that? Secondly, J- uh, second present, Jesus is God. And he's, the only, he's the only God. The incense pointed to that. But God seems, doesn't he, so distant and removed from the world around us. Uh, the enlightenment of the, you know, the late 19th century and Darwin or the scientific revolution, uh, they kind of shout at us and say, There's no empirical evidence for, for God. You just can't see God out there. And they suddenly say, Jesus isn't God. No way. But why have there been so many scholars? Well, just wait a minute. <laughs> but why have there been so many scholars, scientists in history? Faraday, Newton, Kelvin. Along with so many of the greatest of the world's um, scientists today that basically say, oh, well, they don't see a conflict between the world around them, the universe in which we live, and Jesus being God. That Jesus Jesus is God is, is the greatest present that many of them would say, these great scientists of the world. God lets us get to know him. He sends his son, and the evidence is there at the first Christmas. But as Jesus begins his ministry, as you read in the Bible, the evidence stacks up more and more that Jesus is God. Why not try and read one of the gospel accounts? You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's a couple of, there's loads of copies at the back, actually. Feel free to take one for free and just read it this Christmas. Read Mark's gospel and just see if the evidence stacks up and come and ask some questions about it. Do your intelligence justice. This present is invaluable. Because do you know why? You can get to know God. You can understand what he's like. And you can best of all have a relationship with him. The creator and sustainer of this world. How? Well that leads us to the last present finally. The myrrh. O holy child of Bethlehem. Descend to us we pray. Cast out our Sin, the Carol says, and enter and be born in us today. You see, God sends his son to be a saviour, to deal with what the Bible describes as sin. That word just basically means turning your back on God. Ignoring him for 51 weeks of the year. You see, the myrrh pointed to this. But do we see our need for a saviour and the ability in Jesus' His baby being born to be that saviour? Look beyond Christmas, if you will. Run 30 years on in the life of Jesus and you'll see him hanging on a cross. No one, no Jew, no Roman could ever find anything wrong with him. No sin, no guilt, nothing whatsoever. Yet they still pinned him to a Roman cross of shame. Jesus never ignored God once with that middle class indifference of just, oh yeah. Yeah, I just will ignore you, thank you very much. He'd never, in hostile rebellion against God, said stuck his fingers up and said, I don't want to know you. He'd never sinned. But I have. And I guess you have too. I stand what well, the Bible says guilty before God. I've turned my back on him loads. I've ignored him, I've rebelled against him, but Jesus, in his love, has come to be a savior. And he suffers every bit of justice that I deserve as he's nailed to a cross. He dies a death so that I might live with God. Undeserved, yes, it is. That's why it's called grace. And that is the good news of Christmas, my friends. It is the best Christmas present you will ever receive. Jesus, the loving king who comes to bring justice to this messy world. Jesus is God who's come down in love for you and me to show us what God is like with clarity. Jesus is our savior who's swapped places with us, taking all the justice we deserve for our turning our backs on God. He brings forgiveness and he brings eternal life. So why presents at Christmas? Because God loves you. And with great joy has given him, given us his son. The greatest Christmas present of all. Three presents in one baby. So how do we respond? Let me finish with my favourite carol. In the bleak midwinter. It finishes like this. Verse four says this. What can I give him? As Jesus. Poor as I am. Spiritually poor as I am before God. If I were a shepherd, i would bring a lamb. None of you are shepherds, that's alright. If I were a wise man... Maybe you are. I would do my part. Yet, what can I give him? Give my heart. See, the only thing you and I can offer Jesus is our hearts. Our lives, essentially. He's given you three Christmas presents He's King, He's God, and He's your Saviour. And in return, you just give me your heart. These three Christmas presents come as a package in this one small baby. So what are you going to do with this Christmas present this season? Let me pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for Christmas. We enjoy it for so many reasons. But help us to consider these things afresh. That Jesus is King, he's God, and he's a saviour. And as a result, what can we do? What can we give him? Nothing but our hearts. Maybe some of us want to think that afresh. Ask questions. Please help people to be brave, to do that, to do justice to their intelligence, and, and ask everything they possibly can to either dismiss this fully.